Golf and rock and roll, not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway, don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going, even for a drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4. In the house, Holly G, along with my special co-pilot tonight. Mr. Mike Jameson from the International Network of Golf and the Examiner.com. Awesome to have you in, Mike J. Well, nice applause, Holly. That was very nice. Always good to be with you. That was not a golf clap. I've seen you putt. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me, what have you been up to? How are things out at Timaquan? Timaquan is doing well. Uh, had a great year out there. And uh, with the new greens, they're they're just a little over two years old now, and uh, many verde grass, a lot like bent grass, uh, but more sturdy, and uh, really, they're doing very, very well. And uh, you just got back from a um, really terrific event out in the Windy City last week in Chicago. I did. I went up for a fundraiser for the Freedom Golf Association. Uh, Freedom Golf is a organization that was started by an, an amputee, uh, E.Q. Sylvester, and it, it really reaches out to folks who are special need, people with special need, to get them on the golf course, to help them learn how to swing the club and play. Very therapeutic, and uh, it's been around a couple of years. Uh, they're based in Chicago, and they had a fundraiser at Cog Hill last week, and, and it was really a very, very good event. And, and then on Wednesday, they teamed with the PGA Tour to have a, a Wounded Warriors clinic that was done by Rory Sabatini. Uh, and he, he was really good. I came away with a lot of respect for him. Some interesting statistics. One in five Americans are disabled. More than 57 million total. 18 million disabled want to play golf. Uh, 6.7 million play golf, but many indicate wanting more instruction and 55,000 wounded veterans could benefit from adaptive golf. Um, We've had a chance to see some of these guys participate, including a long drive contest we had at our International Network of Golf Conference last year, and it is something else to watch these guys play. Very moving, and you think about player development. We hear a lot about that in our industry. There's 18 million people that want to play golf right there. And and so Freedom Golf is one of several organizations that are working hard toward that goal. Um, I played with a man in the uh, fundraiser on Monday that had had a stroke a few months before and could not speak. But he has learned to swing the golf club again, and he speaks with his eyes. And he, he had, was filled with passion to be out there with us and felt part of our team. And it was one of the great experiences I've ever had on the golf course. No doubt. Well, a lot of golf this past weekend as we get ready for the 
fourth and final stage of the FedEx Cup, the Tour Championship at East Lake in Atlanta. The final 30 have made the cut. Jason Day winning uh, this past weekend, running away with the field, Mike. Uh, unbelievable, his play. It really was. And I, we were out there on Wednesday, and the wind was blowing, as it did all weekend. And I, I was just stunned by how well he struck the ball and how well he scored. Uh, he's really demolishing the field every time he tees it up recently. And I, I don't know if those guys think they have a chance this week at, uh, in Atlanta. Uh what do you think? You know, lots of conversation right now about player of the year, and we've got a great lineup tonight. Bob Herrick from ESPN.com, Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel, and Steve Eubanks fresh back from the Solheim Cup, which we'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, a lot of conversation given the the terror that uh, Jason has been on here for the last six since the Canadian Open and five total for the year. Uh, versus Jordan Spieth, of course, two major championships. Oh, and, of course, Jason Day winning the PGA Championship. Um, I I think it goes to Jordan. I think, you know, yes, Jason's been on a, you know, a hot streak here. And even if he wins the Tour Championship, I, I think the majors carry more weight. What's your thought? Today's society has a short memory. Um, and I think the short memory is coming into play then, right now. I don't think there should even be a conversation Jordan Spieth was having one of the great years since Tigers 2000, and I, I just don't think there's any question. Uh, I do believe that Jason Day deserves to be the number one player in the world right now, which he just became, because uh, he is the best player in the world right now. But when you take it across a, a full tournament, uh, a full season of tournaments, I don't think there's any question. And particularly if we remember last fall how Jordan played, he had three wins before the end of the year in the wraparound season, including, of course, the tournament, the hero here um, at Isleworth, in which he beat in a very elite field, had just come back from winning in Australia. So the fact that, you know, his game was now starting to travel internationally and he had that big win and, you know, what he's done, including tie for second, fourth place in the last two majors, just hard to, I think, uh, take take that away in terms of the body of work, if you will, for the year. Absolutely. He was one shot away from the, the slam and one shot in, in, in St. Andrews. And, and then, you know, he tailed off a little bit. Uh, he's human. And uh, his putters kind of left him a little bit, I think. But the course of a season, he, he was the best. Well, Jason Day is certainly in the zone, 61, 63, 69, 69. Uh, I mean, Ricky Fowler going 69, 66, 66, 69, and he can't catch this guy Rory having a great tournament, 68, 65, 67, 70. Definitely some movement up the FedEx Cup points. It's going to be a very interesting weekend weekend at East Lake. Can't wait. Uh, my pick for that week uh, earlier on was Jim Furyk. Jim Furyk will not be there, unfortunately, with a wrist injury. He had to withdraw at the BMW last week, but uh, the rest of the field is strong. It sure is. Well, we've got a lot of golf to talk about. The FedEx Cup playoffs and uh, the Solheim Cup, the controversy over in Germany. But go USA, big win. Lots to talk about. Stay with us, the Golf Insider 740. We'll be right back. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. 
The Golf Insiders taking you home on the fairways of 5-4 in the house. Holly G along with my special co-host tonight, Mike Jamison from the International Network of Golf. So it all comes down to this. Mike J, 29 players have survived three playoff eliminations to play for the FedEx Cup title and its $10 million bonus. The 30th player who qualified, Jim Furyk, who had won before. Uh, out with a wrist injury on Tuesday. Wow, what a what a bummer for Jim. I agree, and he plays that course so well. Uh, that's why I thought he would be the winner there, but uh, obviously he will not be the winner there. And now we're just wondering if he will be able to play the President's Cup in uh, October. Five of those, Jason Day, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Henrik Stenson, and Bubba Watson control their own destiny at the Tour Championship. A win on Sunday at Eastlake, and uh, that big old Bankroll is theirs, and uh, to talk about it, we're going to go live to Eastlake and our favorite, Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going, Holly? Going well. So uh, I heard somebody ask the question earlier today in Jason Day's press conference, what, do you, what would he do with all that money? And I just, I love this guy. His response was, well, I guess I'll go buy a few more V-neck sweaters at Target. <laughs> I just thought that was priceless. Yep. yep. And, and, then, and then he followed that up with, and probably get rid of a few of my clothes. Um, I'm still wearing a lot of things in my closet that are five years old. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it really is kind of funny money at this point, isn't it? I mean, uh, um, what's he already made this year? You know, it's, he's, he's uh, just in the last six weeks, he's made about $5 million. Um, and, uh, you know, he's won, he's won four times Canadian open and PGA, which obviously the PGA is going to create, you would think some sort of an endorsement windfall and then two tournaments in the playoffs, all these tournaments over a million dollars. Uh, in fact, the playoff events are 1.44. So, you know, so then you throw on this bonus thing here at the end, it's unbelievable really what, what, uh, what can, what these guys can do. So um, hopefully he's uh, got a good accountant <laughs> and a uh, good tax advisor, uh, takes care of his caddy, uh, sets up a foundation, and uh, there you go. <laughs> well, I think what I was struck by, too, as we have watched his story unfold and you know now know a lot about his background, you know, his, his, he, he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, you know, I, I, I really haven't thought about, a lot about it. He said... I'm a simple man, and I just thought that was so revealing. Yeah, and you know, I think what's interesting, too, is along the way he has said when he first started out, he thought about the money. He played for the money because he never had any, and he really wanted to have some. You know, he wanted to, and obviously money is kind of how you're judged out here in a lot of ways. It, it helps determine you know, you're, you're standing. I, I realize it's FedEx Cup points, but, you know, obviously the more points, the more money. It's all kind of tied in, and, and uh, you know, the better you do, the, you know, the easier it is because you've still got expenses and stuff. But I think, you know, once you stop thinking about that, it became easier. 
Um, I think all these guys have to, it's, there has to come a point where you don't think about how much money is on the line uh, because uh, uh, that's not really what it's about. If you perform, the money is going to be there. You'll never have to count and worry about it again. But if you start agonizing over that putt cost me $50,000 or, you know, that cost me this, well, that's going to perpetuate and you're going to struggle. So um, there was um, there was a point in time I think where, uh, where where you know where Jason Day you know had to cross that line and and I think it's helped him a lot since he has. Well, Bob, he he played some incredible golf last week. Uh, I was up there Wednesday and the wind was blowing, flags were moving all day long, and it wasn't an easy golf course. But he played it like it was a pitch and putt. And he's he's kind of been on that kind of roll. Do you recall anyone in recent years having this kind of run? Yeah, that golf course wasn't as easy as he made it look. Uh, I mean, to shoot sixty one, sixty three to start is pretty. Uh, you know, I don't care where you're playing, but um, you know, I, I guess it's reminiscent of Tiger at times. You know, uh, the the rolls he got on. Uh, you know, probably we're looking at oh nine. 07, um, <clears throat> you know, in 09, he, he won two tournaments in a row before the PGA where he finished second. You know, he was, in 07, he won, he won the PGA, and then the following week he won, he won the Bridgestone. Um, or excuse me, that was, that was the first year they did it this way. It was the other way around. I mean, it was just, he, he, you know, he would just get on these rolls, and you, your jaw would drop. And that's kind of what Jason Day is doing right now. I mean, he's he's you know he's I think he's only been over par in two rounds, and you know going back to the British Open. Uh, and uh, you know, he also hits the you know, he hits the ball a long way and hits shots that that they kind of make you blink twice. You know, you think, wow, how did he do that? You know. He, and that, and I think that's what we've sort of been waiting for. I mean, you could see the talent from the guy uh, a couple of years ago, and now it's all sort of come together, and he's got a confidence level that's really helped. And and he also seems to um, seem a little looser around the edges, Bob, especially in these press conferences. And I'm sure a few wins will will help help uh, take that monkey off your back. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Why not now? I mean. Uh, it's it's he's almost in a point right now where he's got nothing to lose. You know, if he has a poor tournament this week, who's going to hold it against him? You know, you win two of the four events. You you know, uh, I, I'm sure he wants to capitalize on this role. Uh, and then you know, you kind of he's going to play in the Presidents Cup and shut it down for a while, and then you try to you try to do it again next year. But uh, you know, right now it's uh, it just seems like. There hasn't been a whole lot of bad golf from him in, in quite a long time. Well, we're down to 30 players. Uh, of course, the, the, the hottest players, according to the, to the points. Do you think that gives him a big advantage this weekend? You know, I think he's got an advantage because of the confidence. Um, you know, he's just been playing at such a high level that uh, – you know, it's got to feel good to stand over the ball and know where it's going. So I think from that standpoint, um, you know, it's uh, he's in he's in a good, very very good situation. Well, the guys, um, 
but uh, you know, there's obviously other guys with plenty of motivation this week, and and uh, whether or not they win the FedEx Cup or not, it's a big tournament to win with a big purse. Well. He's probably happy there aren't 144 in the field. I mean, I think at least the percentage uh, does lean a little bit more in his favor. But, uh, you know, certainly going to be very exciting to watch. A guy that made a big move and now is sitting in the top 10, position number 9 in the FedEx playoff rankings, Daniel Berger, a rookie. Tell us about this guy. Yeah, you know, he's a guy who... uh nearly won the Honda Classic. He took Padraig Harrington to a playoff, which Harrington won, and had kind of a you know, a tough stretch over the summer. He missed five or six cuts in a row, but he's a Florida State guy and lives in West Palm area, a rookie on the tour, as you mentioned, and uh, you know, gets to the tour championship in his first go-around, which means a lot. It means he's in the Masters, means he's in the U.S. Open, means he's in the British Open, uh, it's a big deal to get yourself in this tournament for more reasons than just the money. And uh, so, you know, and again, he's, I think he's another guy, he's sort of playing with house money right now. He, uh, you know, he had to have a good week to get here. And now that he's here, you know, what has he got to lose? He's, he's going to get himself a nice FedEx Cup bonus no matter where he finishes in the points. And, um, you know, there's money to be won in this tournament as well. Now, having really no clue on the mathematics of this thing, as hard as I try, um, you know, is there a long shot here? Somebody that can, you know, come out of the pack? You know, what's simplified if at all possible? Well, it's set up so that everybody in the field can win win the FedEx Cup. The guy, the thirtieth guy, if he wins the tournament. There's a scenario where he can win the FedEx Cup. He would need a lot to happen. He would pretty much need Jason Day to finish 29th or 30th. And, and he'd need the other guys in the top five to finish way down. You know, they reset the points. And, um, you know, I, I have some issues with this whole thing when it, when it gets to this point. I, I think it's crazy that we're looking at a computer on Sunday, Saturday, to figure out where guys stand and, uh, you know, I think that makes it really hard for the guys on the course. Golf is always about the score you shot, you know, and, and you know if you beat the next guy, you, you beat the next guy. But in this thing, you've got to not only beat them, but then you have to know where you are and the points and what it all means, and that's very hard to do in, the, in this event. So um, I think the Tour's nightmare scenario is Henrik Stenson wins the FedEx Cup without winning a tournament all year, and that's possible. He's fourth in the points despite not having won all year. And he could finish second or maybe even third, second or third, and and win the FedEx Cup, which means he won't have won a tournament all year. He would need Jason Day to finish no better than 11th and other guys obviously to fall out, out somewhat. But it's, you know, that's really not out of the realm of possibility. You know, you have somebody like uh, somebody from 15th or down win the tournament, and then you have the right things happen with the guys at the top. And Henry Stenson finished his picking and wins at 10 million and didn't win a tournament all year. Um, that would be, um, you know, that would be. I, I don't think that's how you want this to go. And so, 
now, of course, he can just go ahead and win the tournament, and then he'd win the FedEx Cup, and I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. We're talking but, about- uh, so that's you know that's sort of the thing. I mean, anybody in the tournament can win the event, and if it all falls right, they can win the FedEx Cup. The best example of that is in 2011, Bill Haas was 25th coming in, and he won the tournament. And had no clue. Thing. <laughs> had no clue <laughs> that he won the whole know thing. It. And again, that's another thing. You don't even know. You, you win the tournament. You don't even know you've won the FedEx. you gotta, you got to um, get a whisper in the year. <laughs> that's happened rarely, though. I mean, it's in. Uh, this is the ninth year of this, and I believe in all but two years, the winner of the tournament has also won the FedEx Cup. I mean, I think that's the scenario that they like, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not guaranteed to work out that way. Uh, Bob? Before I let you go here, uh, player of the year, is this, uh, you know, we, we talked about it earlier. I say the majors and, you know, what Jordan's done all year since the wraparound season beginning last fall, uh, that it's it's a slam dunk. Jordan, what do you say? Well, I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I understand. I certainly understand that line of thinking, and it's a and it's a uh, – you know, it's obviously quite reasonable. I think you can argue that he's had the third best year in the mo- in the modern era of the majors. Hogan won the only three he played in 53. Tiger won three and finished fifth in the other one in 2000. Nobody else has won three in a year in the modern era. So Jordan won two. There's a slew of guys that have won two, but none of them is good as, Jordan's other majors where he missed a playoff by a shot and finished second in another. You know, I mean, it was a historic run there. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, it's certainly on par with Nicholas in 72 when he won the first two and Palmer in 60 when he won the first two. They both came close, uh, you know, obviously to winning a third, uh, but trailed off a little bit in the next one where Jordan was right there. So you throw that in, you throw in two wins, uh, you throw in, I believe, 14 top tens. Uh, that is very, very hard to beat. But we've also got this very odd occurrence where we have another player who's had a historic year. Winning five times in a year is very rare. Obviously, Tiger did it a bunch, but the actual number of players to win five times in a year is rare. Going back to 1980, there's, uh, Jason Day is now only the fifth guy. Uh, Tom Watson, Nick Price, Tiger, who did it ten times, which is remarkable in and of itself. VJ uh, Singh and now and now Jason. You know, uh, there's been a lot of guys never won five times in a year in their career on the PGA Tour. Greg Norman, Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson. You know, and now Jason's done that. So that's some rare air also. And if he were to go on and win this week and have a sixth win, win the FedEx Cup, six wins versus four, uh, one major versus two, uh, you know, it's pretty. Um, it's a, I think that's a pretty good debate. I still would side with Jordan, but uh, you know, I think Jason would get a lot of votes in that case. I I agree, and it's going to make for a very exciting weekend and uh, Sunday. Who are you going with, Bob? I actually picked Rory 
because he's kind of under, been under the radar a little bit. I gotta believe he's uh, he's a little bit annoyed with all this, uh, you know, talk for these other guys, you know, and he's fallen off a little bit because of the because of the ankle injury and missing a couple of big tournaments, and he's never won this tournament, and but yet played fairly well here. So I'm going with Rory to to upstage them all. All right. As always, Bob Herrick, thank you so much. Check him out, ESPN.com. He's everywhere. He is the golf god on tour. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Take it easy, guys. You're listening to the Golf Insider, 740 The Game. We'll be right back with Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Stay with us. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's... My job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play in pebble, won't pay the price. I love my muni, I think it's nice. It'd be good to just make We're back, the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4, in the house, Holly G, and... My sidekick tonight, Mike Jameson from the International Network of Golf, near and dear to my heart. 25 years we celebrated in May, Mike J. Yes, we did. It's been 25 fantastic years, and uh, part of those years involve our next guest. He was on our advisory board for several years. Yes, he was, and uh, has helped uh, MC a number of events we've had over the years. So we will waste no more time and... Go back to East Lake with Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel in the house. Hey, Todd. Hey, Holly. Hey, Mike. How are you? Hello, Todd. Great to hear from you. You've been a busy man. They've had you yeah. here, there, and everywhere on the Golf Channel. Yeah, you know, actually, I've had the last couple of weeks off in home. Um, I was in studio for a little while. I'm going to get crushed in October, uh, travel-wise. <laughs> I'm going to Korea for the President's Cup, and then I come back, and then I go to Turkey uh, for the European Tour's Turkish Airlines Open, uh, where Rory McIlroy will be playing amongst other great European stars. So Golf Channel was nice enough to give me a couple weeks home uh, before I head out. Well, good. And, boy, we are just so lucky to get this amazing coverage that the Golf Channel provides of course, the fantastic wall-to-wall coverage of the Solheim Cup over the weekend. And uh, I, I think very exciting, the President's Cup coming up because of, you know, we've just gotten to know so many of the international players with the coverage of the, you know, the European Tour and so many of the national, international tournaments. And uh, we just, you know, we love our golf channel, Todd Lewis. Well, thank you. Yeah, they've... Uh... They, uh, well, us, I guess, the Golf Channel, we have become a, a pretty powerful uh, force um, in the game of golf. But we're humble. We want to grow. We want to get better. We're, we're, we're working for the fans. We want to make sure that they get uh, all the information and entertainment that they, that they can get in watching golf. So we really enjoy it. And before we get into the, to the playoffs here, just um, a note of the coverage last night the special events that the Golf Channel does bring to us, the Payne Stewart Award, uh, for the first time on television. And uh, it, Ernie L's the recipient. Just a fantastic evening. It was fun. And uh, I've been fortunate over the last few years, especially to um, help Ernie and his foundation, the Ells Foundation, the Ells Fight Against Autism, um, 
and I've gotten to know him and his wife, Liesl, and, and, and I mean it, what I said last night, um, I mean, he's a big man, but he's got a big heart, and uh, I think it took a lot of courage for him and his wife to come out publicly a very, with a very private matter and, and announcing that their son, Ben, has autism. Um, but it also, besides raising awareness, it also raised a lot of funds, and they have a wonderful um, center down in South Florida and uh, the Ernie L. Center for Excellence. And, you know, they're, they're making these kids you know, realize that they can have a great life, and, and, and families too, uh, they have a great life uh, on the spectrum of autism, and uh, it, it's really beautiful to see. I, uh, the happiest I see Ernie Ellis is when he's around his son Ben. Um, and I asked him last night, you know, what has Ben taught him, and he, he just said the simple love and the joy that he has in every day. Um, it, it's broadened his perspective, and uh, it, it's really beautiful to see. Well, Todd, um, tell me who you think is going to come through this week and uh, not only win the tournament but possibly win the FedEx Cup. Do you have a favorite? Um, well, there are two categories. I mean, if you, if you, if you pick a winner for the Tour Championship, and that player could easily win the FedEx Cup. I mean, it could come from outside the top five. Um, and frankly, I, you know, I, I'm looking at one guy who's just outside the top five, and that is Zach Johnson. I think he's, you know, he's had a great year, too. I mean, winning, winning the Open Championship at St. Andrews, and he's played consistently over the last few months, and he likes this golf course. He's in sixth place in the FedEx Cup standings. He doesn't. He, he, you know, there's a scenario out there where he doesn't have to win the Tour Championship and can still win the FedEx Cup. But I, I think he's playing well enough. He's not going to have as much pressure on him as the guys in front of him in the standings. So I, I would look for Zach Johnson to have a good week uh, if you're looking for guys outside of the top five. Now, the other question is player of the year. You've got Jordan Spieth with four victories but two major championships. Jason Day has five PGA Tour victories. That's one more than Jordan, but only one major championship. So where do you weight this? Um, so it's interesting. I presented a hypothetical today, and I just reported it on Golf Central, to 20 of the players in the field at the Tour Championship. That's a little more than two-thirds because there's only 29 in the field with Jim Furyk out. Uh, so 29 players, 20 of them I asked this question. If Jason Day wins the Tour Championship this week, which means he ultimately would win the FedEx Cup and give him six wins on the season, who are you going to take in your vote for Player of the Year? Would it be Jason Day? Would it be Jordan Spieth? Or would you leave East Lake in Atlanta undecided? Here are the results. Four of those 20 players said that they would take Jason Day. Six of those players would take Jordan Spieth. The other ten they'd have to go home and think about it. They just don't know. So wow. there, is, there is definitely pause for these players, a large majority of these players, in picking the player of the year, especially if Jason Day wins the Tour Championship. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. We were discussing this in the last segment, Todd, and uh, you know, I think there's also two other scenarios here. Jason's certainly the hottest player you know, since Canada, four out of the last six. You look at Jordan through the course of the season, beginning last fall, the wins he had, you know, abroad and then uh, here. And I think, doesn't he have something like 14 top 10s as well? 
I mean, he has more top tens than Jason. Yeah. Yeah. So you look at the body of work, right? If we're looking at player of the year, or do we, you know, get influenced because our memory's short and, you know, he, Jason's the hottest player right now. Well, I mean, again, if he wins, I mean, I mean, that's six victories. I mean, I mean, there's only three times in the last 20 years that a player has won five times in one season on the PGA tour. I mean, just soak that in. And then you add another, I get if he went to a championship, that will be six. Um, and, you know, you're measured by victories, aren't you? So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a great – you make a great point, Holly. And those who say that Jason Day should be player of the year, again, it, I think he has to win to have an opportunity to win player of the year. Then those people make a great point as well. So, I mean, if I, I'm lucky I don't have a vote. I've heard – I had several players tell me today, not on camera, that there should be, in this instance, co-players of the year. Uh, I, that's not going to happen. But wow. if, if there ever was a case, it should happen this year. Yeah, that 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 certainly w- would be a great uh, uh, a great thing to do because it is. I, I agree with you. If if Jason doesn't win this week, then then I don't think there's any doubt. But if he does, I I don't know who I would vote for at that point. I hadn't even thought about him winning this week, but he's been on such a tear, he could very w- easily win. Um, you you were mentioning Zach. I I certainly agree with you. I, I had dinner Sunday night with Mike Bender, his his coach, and he. I asked him if he was had been up to Chicago, and he had not. He said Zach is in a in a good place right now. He he likes where his game is. He's focused, and he thinks he's got a good shot to win because as he as you said earlier, he does love this golf course. Yeah, and and he's in a great frame of mind. Uh, you know, he's he's celebrated a bit. You often, you often wonder here. You, some players when they win a major championship, especially when they kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, no one was really thinking Zach Johnson, let's be honest, was going to win uh, the Open Championship because it's such a bomber's golf course. At least it was going in. Now the weather affected things. Um, but, but when a player wins uh, a major championship, sometimes those players go off the grid. You think about Trevor Immelman after he won the Masters. Yeah. You think about Lucas Glover after he won the U.S. Open. Well, Zach has played better since winning the uh, Open Championship. It's actually elevated his game. So I agree with you. I think Zach is in a good spot. not saying he's going to win, but if you, if you talk about guys who I think don't have a lot of pressure on them, uh, because the top five players do have a little bit of internal, maybe external pressure because they understand they control their own destiny. Um, if they win the Tour Championship, they win that $10 million FedEx Cup. Uh, but I, I think Zach is just outside of that top five in a good position and playing beautifully, I, I would look for him to, to be in contention at least heading into the weekend. Well, it's going to be uh, an exciting play-by-play, hole-by-hole as we go through the next four days. And uh, always uh, appreciate your time, Todd Lewis. Thank you so much, our good buddy, Todd Lewis on the Golf Channel. Holly, Mike's always great talking to you as well. Have a great night. All Take right. Care. You're listening to Golf Insider, 740 The Game. Stay with us. We've got more golf talk coming up. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, we're back. The Golf Insiders, wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk in the house. Holly G, along with my special co-host, Mike Jameson from the International Network of Golf. And speaking of international, 
Go Team USA! Woo-hoo. The Solheim Cup, 14.5 points versus 13.5 Europe. What a comeback on Sunday, Mike. This was, uh, yes, this was global. This was all world. This was one of the biggest comebacks of all time. Woke up to it early, early Sunday morning. Uh, controversy, excitement, uh, depression, and then overwhelming emotion. It was one of the most exciting four or five hours of golf viewing I've ever watched. It sure was. And uh, we're going to go to one of our favorite golf insiders, just back from Germany. He was there when it all happened, and we got a lot of questions to ask him. Steve Eubanks from Global Golf Post. Hey, Steve. Hi, Holly. How are you? Good, good. You are the intrepid traveler. Uh, You're back from Germany, up in Nova Scotia, and then headed to the Tour Championship, correct? That's cor- that is all correct. Yes, I'm up checking out uh, Cabot Cliffs here in uh, um, just outside of Halifax on on the coast of Nova Scotia, and then uh, going straight from here back to Atlanta uh, for a uh, for a home game at Tour Championship. That's right. Tough job, but somebody's got to do it. So let's uh, let's go straight to uh, what has been the buzz the last couple of days. Um, you know this uh, unfortunate situation that happened uh, on the 17th green. Uh, you said you were there. Break it down for us. Tell it. Tell us how you saw it all go down. Well, I mean, but thankfully, the 17th green was actually the closest uh, green to the media center, so it was easy for me to slip out that morning. And, and goodness gracious, I mean, I, I thought, well, what can happen in three holes? And the entire event swung on those early three holes that uh, that, that that occurred early uh, early Sunday morning. So um, I'm, we're standing there. Allison rolls her putt. I mean, I'm going to be generous and call it 18 inches. When I first saw it, I thought it was six, about 16 inches, just outside of foot. And um, you know, then you see Charlie turn and walk away, and the crowd just kind of erupts because everybody assumes that the hole is over at that point. They start cheering for they start cheering for the Europeans for, because they know it's all square going to the last hole. Well, Allison then goes up and picks her ball up um, because I, it, truly, I'm standing there thinking, okay, let's let's march over to the 18th tee. And that's when Suzanne is just kind of shaking her head. She turns to the official and it's like, nope, that was that was not conceded. So um, I, I mean, look, it was it, it was unfortunate that she picked it up, um, but it was equally unfortunate that it ended up in, uh, being ending up the way it ended up because uh, Suzanne came out looking really, really bad in this thing, and the fact that she was so petulant about it, uh, I think, turned off a lot of people to her. Not just then. But after it was over, um, it, it certainly was the catalyst that sparked the U.S. comeback. There was no question about that. They they met behind the 18th green. Uh, they met again inside the clubhouse. They met again behind the first tee before they went out for their singles matches. And in every one of those instances, that team bonded like they never would have otherwise. And as they were marching to the first tee, you could just see the fire in their eyes. And, and, and you kind of knew at that point that, uh, that they really had a shot to pull this thing off. I thought Krista Kerr was going to kill somebody uh, as she was walking to the first day. And, uh, I mean, it was it was as as big and as emotional a turnaround based solely on that one incident than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, and a big win by Angela Stanford against Suzanne Patterson, you know, later in the afternoon, winning two I'll and you, one. I'll tell you a funny story about that one. Yeah, I'll tell you a good story about that. She, you know, because she's zero and she was zero and nine. Right. And that was really, that was really, really uh, uh, 
really worrying her. It it it, uh, it weighed on her heavily that she, you know her that her record was as bad as it was because she hadn't played that badly in some of these matches. She'd run into a buzzsaw. Somebody makes five or six birdies in a row. You know, there had been some instances where she'd gone out and played pretty well and just got beat. Um, but that record was really concerning her. And when she found out that she had drawn Pedersen, her face lit up. And she ran over to Joe Halleck, her coach, and she grabbed him and said, the streak ends now. Wow. And, uh, boy, it, it, was a, it, it was as thrilling of a, a something to see and be around as I've ever, I've ever seen. Well, I know Joe Halleck. He's uh... – He's he's from Florida, and um, I I know what that that look in the eye can can be, and uh, that's uh, that's very interesting. There, you know the it, the Europeans. Really well, the Europeans, uh, some of those Laura Davies, who I guess was on B, BBC, uh, she even came out and called it disgusting. I don't know of a lot of people that defended Suzanne uh, during the during the occasion and, and immediately after. Well, I can tell you that there was nobody on site who did, even the European. And it was a predominantly uh, European press corps and, uh, you know, 80 percent European uh, audience and the fan and uh, the fans. And those who knew what had taken place uh, were embarrassed. I mean, they were embarrassed for, for their team uh, and they were certainly embarrassed for Suzanne. Let me ask you, Steve, you couldn't there was no camera angle. You saw Charlie Hull walk off and it certainly appeared like she thought it was good, you know, by her body language. Was mm-hmm. Suzanne watch was she standing out at the green? Was she watching the play or was she leaving the green? She was already off the green. She was standing on the on the side of the green that that is nearest to the eighteenth tee. But she also turned her back immediately upon uh, Angela um, upon Allison missing that putt. So you've got You've got Suzanne who turns her back. You've got Charlie who walks off, and you've got the crowd that erupts. So it it appeared as though the hole was over. Um, it, well, you know, it's it, one of the things that I did hear, and a lot of the players did mention. Clearly, you know, it was an unfortunate situation uh, in the heat of the moment, as we know. Lots of emotion in in match play. Uh, they did talk about, however, that there had been this, and I heard a number of players talk about it, uh, you know, that there had been this major rules meeting earlier in the week where they discussed at length the whole process of conceding putts. You know, I had heard that as well. That didn't get brought up again uh, at any of the press conferences um, in, in the immediate aftermath of this. Uh, now, I know that at the Walker Cup, uh, the U.S. team, at least, was instructed that when you concede a putt, you are to walk over and either pick up the mark or pick up your opponent's ball and hand it to them. Uh, and that, that was a, you know, it, it was just a way of making sure that everyone knew what the concession process was. So, um, you know, and that there could be no misinterpreting. There could be, you know, I didn't hear you correctly or I thought you said it was good or anything like that. They walk over, pick it up, and hand it to them. Um, now, Allison says, she heard someone in the gallery say, that's good. The net gallery was yelling. So, I mean, you, it certainly could have, uh, could have happened. And it was yelling the minute putt missed. So it was as though this was, you know, this was completely over. And there was no doubt that you know, in the cacophony of stuff that was going on right there, she very well might have heard someone say, that's good. And in that instance, I don't know why the, the referee on site didn't, didn't say, yeah, you can replay it. Because you know, the, the confusion about a player assuming someone has given them a putt is, uh, you know, it, it's very clearly spelled out in the decisions. 
Yeah, and that and that was part of what I I've heard several players say. Not only you know about you know never don't pick your putt up, don't pick your putt up. That you know this was gone over in quite a bit of detail. But also I was um, surprised that the official, given you know what he said, didn't give her the opportunity to replay the putt. Is that a subjective yeah, I mean, look, call? I've, I've you've co- a... you've covered enough uh, match play events. Sure. And and I've and I've I've seen it happen. I've had it happen to me where you you hear one thing and you think that it's a concession, or you see them, you know, a person gives a thumb, you know, thumbs up or something, as if to say, pick it up, uh, and you know, you pick it up, and that's not what they intended. So there's there's all kinds of of things that can happen that will you know that that according to the decisions you can you can replace and replay, um, but you know, in, in this in this case, I guess they said, well, no. The player didn't actually say anything, and Suzanne made it made it very clear that uh, you know she was as quiet as she'd ever been in her life, and that that is not something that either of them had said. That's good. Um, however, the, you know the body language was certainly as if they were marching to the next tee. Well, lost in all this was one of the gutsiest performances by an individual that I have seen over the course of the weekend. Gina Pillar, gosh, that putt she made on seventeen. Uh, that could have swung the, the cup the other way was amazing to me. Did you get a chance to see that? Yeah, absolutely. It was on 18, actually. Was it 18? She comes up okay. 18. Yeah, okay. yeah she, because she, she, had, she had lost 17 to be, to be, uh, one, you know, to be one up with, with one to play, and she, she knew she had to, to, to uh, at least have 18. And then she hits you know, really a fairly poor approach shot uh, that, that gets in that gnarly grass around the bunker, and that was incredibly a tough lie. Uh, running away from her, she hits as good a shot as she possibly could, which leaves herself, you know, nine feet coming back up the hill there. And that's when she looked at the scoreboard. Yeah. And because there weren't that many scoreboards on the golf course, there really weren't any scoreboards on the golf course. So it's not until she's standing on the 18th green that she looks up at the scoreboard and she sees Europe with 13 and a half. And then she looks at her ball and says, wait a minute, that's a half. <laughs> it's all on me. And so she knew at that moment what it meant. And um, and boy, when she hold that putt, uh, the place just it, it was it was incredible. The Americans just went nuts. Yeah, it sure was, and just a complete team effort um, on the parts of uh, you know Michelle Wee, who's you know had a tough year with injury. Paula Creamer, who you know just seems to shine, just loves this event, and of course was a captain's pick, and uh, lots of faith put on her by uh, Captain Julie Inkster and. I think Julie just, you know, as intense a player as she's always been in her career, was able to bring balance and, you know, temperament as well as terrific leadership to this team. Your final thoughts, Steve? We just got about a minute left. Well, you know, it really was, I think, a a reflection. This team was a reflection of their captain. Uh, They played with the same intensity that Julie brought to this event when she played, uh, but they also bonded in a way that you would expect of a Julie Inkster-led squad. So I think that it was... It was great all around, and I really think that this perhaps has done more for the Solheim Cup and for women's golf than anything in the last decade. Couldn't agree more. Agreed, yep. Couldn't agree more. Uh, just about 20 seconds. Going to put you out of the spot. Who's your pick for the Tour Championship? I know you know this golf course well. It'd be foolish not to pick uh, Jason Day. I mean, the guy's playing so well, and, and uh, this golf course sets up perfectly for him. All right. We're out of here, the Golf Insiders. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.